Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today we are going to talk weather modification, wildfires, and all the things that go along with that. And as I was researching, I realized we cannot have this conversation really without largely getting into climate change and all that goes along with that as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was just like, is this even going to be a... Because we started off saying we're going to talk about wildfires and then with a side of weather modification and then (laughs) I'm getting into more digging of, Mm -hmm. you know, articles and things to talk about. I'm like, this all leads back to the climate agenda whole it's just like a whole climate agenda can of worms so i'm like Mm -hmm. are we even talking about wildfires are we going to talk about climate agenda the whole time you know what is what is going to end up being Um, it's turned into a side of wildfires yeah yeah Mm -hmm. a side of wildfires instead of main topic but anyway what spurred this conversation i mean obviously the climate agenda and all of that has been in full force but what spurred this really um mostly was recently in the I think since the beginning of June we started having this like haze in the Midwest and I say haze with air quotes because you know it was blamed on these Canadian wildfires there's supposedly you know the smokes going up in the airstream and coming down into the Midwest and settling here and it was very odd and I was sending pictures of Cecily and she's like yeah it looks just like here when we have smoke and BC from all the wildfires well we've never had that here. And I've asked people that are much older than me and they're like, I've never noticed anything like this. It just seems like every single person I talk to, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, it it just seems very odd. And I understand that it looks like smoke, but it seems odd. So um, I started having a conversation on social media and it just opened up so many possibilities to what actually could be going on. And so it was kind of for me a range of, really there's wildfires and there's smoke coming down. It could be weather modification or something that we're seeing. Um, And in my mind, at the very least nefarious, um, the very least nefarious option would be that there's wildfires and it's related to the climate agenda in some way because of the lack of forest management brought on by the environmentalists over the last several decades the most nefarious thing is it's actually weather modification or using wildfires to blame it on. So there's a whole range of Mm -hmm. options here, but I just think that it cannot be wholly innocent. Yeah. And so it is very interesting to have these conversations with Rita, just being that we are from very different like topographical areas, right? Like I am in the mountains and we've had a lot of I will say though, when we were kids, we did not have a lot of forest fires around here. Like wildfires, we did not. There there were, I'm sure, but it wasn't like every year a big deal. Like it has been for the last, I don't know, six years or so maybe. Um, but yeah, so when I saw the pictures of what was happening in the Midwest, I'm like, oh yeah, that's definitely like the smoke that we have here when there's intense wildfires. But interestingly, this year, which is supposedly a very, very bad year for wildfires. We just had our first, so today is Friday, July 21st. Yesterday, July 20th was the first day where our mountains kind of disappeared behind the smoke. Like we've had beautiful blue skies and it has been a huge blessing for us because we're not really used to that anymore in the summer, which is really horrible. Um, But anyway, so we've become really used to smoke and I, but I'm not in the Midwest, so I'm not sure what it smells like, what it feels like, you know, 
Whereas here, sometimes it smells like a campfire burning. But Rita, you said down there, it's different, right? It's different. On the news, they're reporting, oh, you can smell the smoke. And I'm like, it does not smell like smoke to me. It smells like chemical. And Mm. anyone I talk to, other than the people in the news that are telling you what it is, think it smells like smoke. Most people think it smells chemically. And I would say like my throat kind of hurt. The the day it was really bad, I had to go out to the store and things and my throat kind of hurt. And that's not normal for Mm -hmm. me. I don't have allergies really. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not usually affected by things. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a friend a few weeks after that and she had been at a livestock show all day and been out in it. And she said, everybody but one person in their party was affected by it. They just felt horrible the next day. And likewise, she said her throat hurt and it smelled like a chemical to her. And Hmm. I've been hearing that from a lot of people. So that's kind of interesting. One friend brought up, well, it could smell like chemicals from whatever they're using to try to put out the fires. I'm like, that's absolutely plausible. And Mm -hmm. I know some of you guys will be like, Rita's washed up. She doesn't understand what's going on because she's like blaming this potentially (laughs) on something that's like um, not conspiratorial. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's what it is. And I'm just saying there's all kinds of possibilities here yeah. and we need to explore all of them. We can't just automatically jump to like weather modification for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely a possibility, definitely something potentially being sprayed, but there's other possibilities too. We need to definitely explore those because we don't know. And that was, that's kind of was my fear with this episode was that people would either be like, oh, they're spouting conspiracies or on the other side, they'd be like, oh, they're not thinking conspiratorially enough. You know what I mean? I feel like this is one of those things where people kind of fall hard on one side or the other. And I think this might be one of those things where it's like, yes, this is happening, but also why is it happening and what's being added to it? Like, I think those are questions that definitely should be asked. Well, this real quick, we need to remind people, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's something that we shouldn't have to be reminded of, but the truth has no agenda, right? The truth exactly. does not have an agenda. And mm-hmm. so when you look at things going on in the world, there's often an agenda on both sides. And mm-hmm. sometimes the conspiratorial agenda is just one of, I want to be right. And I want to know something other people don't know because it's yeah. fun. And <laughs> I get to be part of something. Like everybody wants to be part of something. And I think that often that's the issue with the, side that falls against the government, which Mm -hmm. I find myself being on that side, but I also want to know the truth without agenda. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd rather be wrong and know the truth than be right or or pretend like I'm right, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, totally. All right. So let's talk about the wildfires a little bit. Um, I had posted in my social media, some things, just starting a conversation about the wildfires and, um, all of the smoke rolling in from Canada, supposedly, or whatever we're experiencing with the haze. And it started a pretty interesting conversation. Then I got looking up, you know, just how the wild, you know, what the situation is with the wildfires in Canada. I found a graph that was pretty interesting. Um, it compared the hectares burned this year so far um, versus other years. And this was only over like a six-year span, um, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight-year span rather. Um, but it was almost 8 million burned this year by the beginning of July. 
And in 2021, it says by October, there were 4 million hectares burned. And to back up, we'll just explain that um, hectares are one to a 2.47 acre ratio. So one hectare equals 2.47 acres, just to give you some indication, um, because typically Americans go by acres. And I guess if you live in a city, you might not even talk about acres because it's kind of a farmer rural um, (laughs) thing to talk about. But anyway, um, so it's a much greater area being burned this year and experiencing wildfires versus several years previous. And I realize this is a very small time span. So who knows what things were like 50 years ago, but this is just the rapid increase from the last um, few years. It's huge. Yeah, it's a huge increase. It's double from last year. And so I don't know. I I just got several comments from people living in Canada, people not living in Canada, why they think this is. And some people were saying that they think it's because of the forest management techniques or lack thereof. Some people think arson. Um, Some were saying there are videos of these wildfires being set all at once. I have yet to see one of those. Um, But there, there are just many reasons that people think this could be happening. Mm hmm. I have seen the videos of the fire starting all at once, and this is not helpful in any way, but maybe it is. It's just, I don't really believe necessarily anything that I see anymore because of the fact that everything can be digitally altered or Mm -hmm. created, to, Mm -hmm. to be fair. And I did hear that it was from a very official site and that someone went and actually made sure, but I haven't gone and actually made sure, um... So I just have a lot of skepticism for stuff like that, that I see online. I'm not saying that I doubt that it's true, um, but, you know, just keep in mind what can be done with, sorry, what can be done with technology? There's smoke in the air today. So I wonder if that's why I've got like a major frog in my throat. But uh, I, I would also just encourage you guys. I'm not saying this is it either, although it is for part of it, but just Google the words environmentalist and arson together. And be prepared to have your mind blown of how often fires are actually started by radical environmentalists. Yeah. Because it's a lot. Yeah, I read one. It it was from, let's see, uh, 2013. It says radical ecological ecological mm-hmm. activists who have made a capture for a decade pled guilty Thursday to a conspiracy and arson for her role with an extremist eco-terrorism group believed to be responsible for setting 20 fires that burned 40 million of property across the West from 1996 to 2001. That's a huge time span that this woman oh, yeah. was setting fires with her family and friends. Um, and <laughs> the interesting thing is the fires I believe were set in the U S but I think she was from Canada Yes. Um, as I yeah. read down the article, like, <laughs> that's, I don't know. Yeah. I just find it funny. I'm an American and you're a Canadian. And I'm like, stop sending your crazy people down here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Trust me, we got plenty of crazy Americans up here. <laughs> I, I don't even know if she's really Canadian. She might have just fled there. But it was just. <laughs> but yeah, so, so that's one thing. But I, 
the thing that I kept finding is within the articles regarding, because so I'm reading around about the wildfires a few weeks ago and reading about um, how huge they are. You know, this article from Reuters, for example, says Canadian wired wildfire admissions hit record high. Record high for what? This is the thing that we need to look at. Record high so, yeah. compared to what? Record high yeah. for last two years, record high for a thousand years. Newsflash, we don't have that data. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we need to think about record high for what? And within the first paragraph of the article, it says this speeds up global warming and creates a dangerous feedback loop by creating conditions where forests are more likely to burn. And so you have to look at the agenda being sold along with the wildfire situation. I got an article from Imprimus. I know I've talked about this before. I sign up for this. It's a free publication that Hillsdale College puts out. And this guy, Bjorn Lomborg, wrote the article. And he is a social scientist that focuses on the economics of um, issues. And so he's admitting, like, I'm not a he says, I'm not a scientist. He's a social scientist, but he's like, I'm not a scientist. So basically saying I'm not a real scientist, but um, (laughs) he studies the economics and he's talking about at the beginning, just um, the fact that um, a lot of the conversations about global warming are vastly exaggerated. And he gets into the wildfires a little bit And he says, what about the supposed increase in wildfires due to climate change? A typical example was the media coverage of the forest fires in Australia in 2019 and 2020, which left readers and viewers with the impression that almost all of Australia was burning. Looking Mm -hmm. at satellite imagery, however, it was clear that although there were a lot of fires close to where the news crews lived in Sydney and Melbourne, it was one of the lowest levels of burning due to fire on record for Australia as a whole. So in the time it's been recorded, it was one of the lowest. Yeah. And I remember that. Like, I remember seeing Australia on fire during those years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. It says, um, as for the amount of burned area due to fire on the global level, satellite data shows a dramatic decline over the past 25 years. So this Mm. is what I'm saying. This little graph I have for like the last six years of Canada we have to remember, like, it is a massive increase from the last six years, which is really yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. But over the span of time, what is that? What does that really look like, you know, yeah. over a large span of time? And another thing that we need to enter into the conversation is the fact that wildfires are a natural occurrence and are necessary for forests to survive and regenerate, like the redwoods mm-hmm. in California rely on fires for reseeding and regrowing. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at a climate conversation and wildfires are just like one small portion of that, we look at a climate conversation, we need to understand that as we talk about this, you know, renewable energy and environmentalism and saving the earth, Is that what we're really talking about? Or are we talking about trying to manipulate nature so that we can experience a better life? Because true environmentalism, and I'm not really on board with environmentalism to the degree of like we save the earth and, you know, humans like need to die because that's where some (laughs) environmentalists are really. really. Um, But that is like true environmentalism to the extreme. But 
environmentalism, as we're talking about it within a climate conversation, they talk about it like that, like a save the planet type thing, but that's not really what they're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. They're talking about trying to um, redistribute wealth in a way that benefits the elitists and at the same time frames it in a way that we're helping the environment, but really we're increasing industrialization. Does that make sense? Like we're, we're not really helping the environment. We're absolutely by doing some of these things that they're talking about, increasing industrialization, like some of the weather, weather, weather modification things that I've looked up over the past couple of days. When I think about, okay, so some of them, one of them was like a giant fan in the Arctic ocean. Yeah trying to like spray water back onto the Arctic ice. I'm like, has anyone thought about the size of that fan and how it's going to be powered in the Arctic Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. actually blow water onto the sea ice to try to make it thicker ice? Or someone had talked about a giant, massive, by diameter, glass thing in space I'm like, what if it breaks? <laughs> what if it breaks to try to, um, you know, block some of the solar or reflect some of the solar? Um, and then when it gets into actual the cloud seeding and stuff, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, more in this episode. Yeah. I have real questions about how healthy is that for people, this water that's then coming from the sky? You know what I mean? Like, that's because that's not what rain is actually made of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, there are questions as to whether it's healthy. And I think that there are some, uh, I I believe in one of the articles I read, a a scientist group sent letters to the government talking about this, you know, being concerned about, hey, we need to look at this a little bit more. And it sort of reminds me of the COVID scenario. You know, you have Mm, people like, mm -hmm. this is what we do. This is what we do. Vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. And then you have a group of legitimate scientists and doctors saying, you know, we need to probably look at this a little further before we go and do this to everyone. And those yeah. people are food and silence because they're not on board with the agenda, which is what I assume will probably happen to scientists who aren't uh, fully on board with the um, weather modification agenda. Before we get into yeah. weather modification, um, mm-hmm. holy, let's talk about the wildfires and climate just a little bit more. Okay. Uh, I got on the epa.gov website, so the American um, environmental um, website, and it talks about climate change indicators, wildfires. This indicator tracks the frequency, extent, and severity of wildfires in the United States. Wildfire frequency, figure one, 1983 to 2021. Okay, I was born in 1983. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm technically probably middle age now at 40. Like this is a very short time span. I sent this article mm-hmm. to Cecily and I was just like sent it with like crying laughing emojis because I'm mm-hmm. like, are you joking? This is how we're tracking climate change and attributing wildfires to climate change a 40 year span. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, that is so is, small to me. This just shows the incredible, um, dense nature and just self-absorbed nature that we have, that we think we are so self-important that we can track climate change over a 40-year span. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow in my mind, that links to self-importance because we- Well, it does. And 
small of a dot we are in the span of time. <laughs> you know what? I actually saw an article the other day that someone had posted, and I can't remember who, but it had, so I don't know how long, how old the scientists say the earth is, have been saying how old the earth is, but something just came out that they actually think it's like more than double the age that it actually is. So, and putting it aside, whether people believe in like an old earth or not, that's not the point here. The point is they're changing their minds all the time by billions of years or, you know, temperatures are varying. And it's like really they're showing how uncertain they are about all of this. And I'm all for science, like doing their thing and, you know, in investigating and researching, but you'd think showing how much we've changed our minds in the past about these things, we'd be a little bit more humble and open-handed about this sort of stuff, especially if we're talking about a small 40 year span. Yeah. Well, you said you're all for science investigating and doing their thing, but it seems that science has become the opposite of that. It's not about investigating and doing your thing. It's about finding something, jumping to a conclusion and finding a solution that is marketable, right? That's really what science has become. How do we capitalize Mm -hmm. on what we're finding and use numbers to um, generate economic growth? That's that's Mm -hmm. basically what it's come down to. Certainly what Um, it seems like. Yeah, I found another interesting article um, from Forbes. Uh, This one is from, oh, I don't see a date, but it's more than two years. Oh, 2020. Yeah. So it says, stop blaming climate change for California's fires. Many forests, including the Redwoods, need them, which we just talked about a little bit. Yeah, this was a good article. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it says, fires have burned uh, 1.3 million acres of California's forests over the last month. That's 1 million acres more than burned last year and is an unusually high number for this early in the fire season. Um, California's political leaders, including Governor Gavin Newsom and Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris, the Democratic vice presidential candidate at the time, blame climate change. Um, and then he's going on to say, if you're in denial about climate change, come to California. You know, this is mm. happening here. And then... Um, They're talking about the redwoods being destroyed, hundreds of trees being burned, park officials closing. Um, These are protected trees um, that have been here um, for years and years going on about how it's burning. Um, And then they get into at the bottom of the article, which I find really interesting, the unions and how Mm -hmm. much much the... um, firefighters make. It's talking about, um, hang on, let me scroll down here. There's so much in this article that I would like to get to, but I want to talk about that really quick. Um, this was the article, right? With the unions. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think it said they make somewhere between, some of them make somewhere between 250,000. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To $500,000. And so it was talking about how they can't put out the fires because they don't have enough firefighters, but they can't hire the firefighters because the unions are lobbying for this increased pay where the firefighters are tired because there aren't enough of them because of the pay rate that the unions are imposing, which is very interesting. Um, what else in this article? There was so, I, I should just read this whole thing. Um, heat from fire is required for the lease release and germination of redwood seeds and to help burn up the woody debris on the forest floor. The thick bark on old growth redwood 
redwood trees, I don't know why that word is hard, provides evidence <laughs> of many past fires. Um, let's see. I, th- I found the part about the water really interesting too. Yes, yes. thank you so for bringing that up. Yeah, it says few people, including the experts, bothered to point out how overgrown forests reduce the water supply, which totally makes sense. Of course it would, right? But when watersheds are choked with dense underbrush competing for moisture, precipitation and runoff cannot replenish groundwater aquifers, which is a huge problem in California, or fill up reservoirs. Instead, it's immediately soaked up by the trees and brush. Without clearing and controlled burns, the overgrown foliage dies anyway. Yeah. Thank you for jumping in there because I'm like so over this article. We'll link in the show notes, guys. You just have to read it, the whole thing. I was like, I, I don't know how to not read this whole thing to you. So I'm like skipping all around. But mm-hmm. uh, it says the U.S. government started to allow forests in national parks to burn more in the 1960s and allowed a wider set of forests on public lands to start burning in the 1990s. When I hear climate change discussed, it's suggested that it's a major reason, and it's not, Scott Stevens of the University of California, Berkeley, told me. Redwood forest, before Europeans arrived, burned every six to 25 years. The Mm -hmm. evidence comes from fire scars on barks and the bases of massive ancient trees hollowed out by fire. You guys have been hearing us talk about Rocasa for a while. Rocasa Organics is a product line that Cecily and I both love. They are clean products for your home, your family, your um, kids, your pets. Um, There's a lot of swaps that we've already done in our house for other clean products, but now I find myself swapping out my already clean products for Rocasa products because it's just so nice to get everything in one place. And it's so nice to be getting them from a true small family owned business as well. So they just had a product launch and I got um, probably 10 new things in the mail and I'm really excited to try them all. I haven't dove into all of them yet, but they've got um, some room spray, toilet spray, um, an itch stick where you can rub it on, which is really nice for this time of year when you got bug bites and um itches going on for the children. She really likes that as well. So those are some of the new products coming out. If you haven't made the swap yet to clean products, look at Rocasa, or if you have, and you're getting them from all over different places, and it's just easier to get them from one place, maybe look at Rocasa Organics, go to the link in our show notes and use code BOOMCLAP to save 20% off your first order. I liked some of the examples they had of what people remember from the past. So this one person said, I'm 70 and I remember Mm -hmm. controlled burns, logging and open grazing. Another person said, with the rainy season just ahead, the aftermath of the creek fire will challenge our water systems for years to come. Erosion will send toxic debris and sediment cascading into streams, rivers and reservoirs, reducing their capacity to carry and hold water. Dirty air, dirty water, and the opposite of environmentalism are on full display right now, brought to us by the environmental posers who will no doubt use the crisis to unleash a barrage of climate change did it articles. And then one more says, many thanks to Sierra Club and other environmental groups. You shut down logging slash brush removal and had a don't touch approach to our forest. You shut down access roads and let them get overgrown. So now they can't be used for fire suppression and emergency equipment. You fought ranchers for grazing, which helped keep the forest floors clean. You made a, you made fun of Trump when he said we need to rake the forest. Trust me, these forest rakes and logging would have prevented the devastating fires that we see now. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this is all, sorry, go ahead. 
No, just when you said, when you read from that 70 year old that remembers Mm. free grazing and all of these things, it just makes me think of how we're focusing in these articles on how fast weather is changing and how fast Mm. nature is changing. And like they're they're all like, oh, look at all this stuff happening in nature. But nobody's (laughs) saying, look at how fast technology is changing. And so you look at this man's life and we're trying to talk about fires and wildfires and how much they're increasing over the the span of 70 years. But look at what's actually changed in this man's life. We went from not having, you know, (laughs) phones in the home over the last hundred years to now having computers in your hand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's It's human behavior that's changed and our ideology has changed as for how we deal with things, but we're also going to like, so this was all about California, that one little piece. Um, so that's about California fire management. And I wish I actually knew more about Canadian fire management. I don't, and I didn't have a chance to look into it too much before recording this podcast, but we're going to also link a, a map from NASA of North America, and you can look at it and see the amount of fire like big, huge fires in Canada compared to the U.S. is staggering. And Mm -hmm. people might say, well, it's because Canada has so much forest. But I mean, look at Montana and Idaho, like Colorado, there's huge forests in in the U.S. as well. But for some reason, they're not burning at the same rate. So I'd be Mm -hmm. really curious to check on, like what, what is Canada's approach to forest management for sure? And then also, again, the uh, environmentalist plus arson is a, is a big question as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So (laughs) this all leads to climate change, right? And this all leads to trying to prevent climate change. And one of the prevention measures that our governments are taking are weather modification. So let's move into that just a little bit. Um, And the fact that it is real, (laughs) just the Mm -hmm. other day, I think it was Sunday. So less than a week ago, I was talking to a a person I know and another person I know. (laughs) I was very much the weirdo outsider (laughs) as as I am in many conversations. (laughs) I don't, I don't get it, but it was, okay. This is, I got to bring it back to COVID for just a second again, and I'm sorry, Seth. I feel like you're like, why is she talking about this again? But (laughs) no, he was coming in and somebody had said something like, oh, is this a smoke from Canada again? And I was like, or weather modification. And they were like, looked at me like I had three heads. Like I was a complete weirdo. And I was like, guys, this is real. Like weather modification is real and happening. I'm not like, mm-hmm. this is exactly what it is. But I'm saying it does happen. We know this, right? And they just looked at me like they had no clue what I was talking about. I'm sitting there like, how do people not know about this? It's open and on government websites. And so mm-hmm. I brought out the um, example of everybody thought I was crazy about COVID and look at how that all turned out. And mm-hmm. the guy says to me, well, within like a month, everybody who knew anything knew that COVID, you know, was blown up and knew about all this. And I was mm. just like, look at him. And I was thinking like, I lost my job one. Yeah. So obviously people didn't know within a month. Still, I would say over half of the people are completely and wholeheartedly bought in. And no, it wasn't a month. It was years before Mm -hmm. people have turned around, turned around. And so I just bring that up to say, 
attention spans are extremely short and people forget what actually happened very, very rapidly. And that's Mm -hmm. one reason so easily mentally manipulated because we don't remember what actually happened. And so right. we need to be writing things down and reading. I just want to say that. <laughs> we need to be writing things down. <laughs> yes. Our yeah, memories will exactly tell us the truth later on. Um, it's true. So anyway, getting into weather modification, it is real. It does happen. So the latest thing to come out about this, I'm just going to go down a little timeline here. The latest thing to come out about this is... Um, in July, uh, the beginning of July, July 1st, actually, it came out that the White House, quote, cautiously opens the door to studying blocking the sun's rays to slow global warming. Okay. And we'll move into historical things to prove that this is real, the weather modification. But I just want to go down this timeline to show you again how short our time, our, our memories are and how much we pay attention or don't pay attention. But it talks about July 1st, the White House has opened the door to Um, blocking the sun rays to slow global warming. So you research a little bit further and find out that there's another article from um, November 2022. The White House admits it. We might need to block the sun to stop climate change. So July 1st is supposedly the first time they've talked about this, right? They're Mm -hmm. finally opening the door to this. But November 18th, 2022, there's an article about the White House admitting we need to block the sun. Then go back a little bit further. April 22nd, 2022, the Daily Beast. Blocking the sun is a risky gambit for fighting climate change, but it may also be our best option. So we're (laughs) over a year out when supposedly the White House is saying this is the first time they're talking about it. But on this um, Daily Beast article, it says um, there's a team like working on this um, and they've been working on this. So for a long Mm -hmm. time. In this other article from Yahoo, um, this is actually a Daily Beast article linked on Yahoo, the one from November. Um, It was talking about it through the UN's annual climate summit. And it says, and it's safe to say that this year's edition was disappointing to say the least. It was widely panned by climate experts and activists and drew intense criticism for being sponsored by the likes of Coca-Cola, the world's leading plastic polluter. So I again (laughs) want to point out the marketing aspect of climate change and the fact that it's being promoted, you know, the climate agenda is being promoted by Coca-Cola, okay? Mm-hmm. Anyway, they go on to talk about walking out the sun. So we're over a year out, and they're presenting this to us in July this year as this is the first time we've talked about it. Yeah. So, and I guarantee it's been more than a year out too, right? Oh, These are just absolutely. Our- absolutely. But... Aside from like the hypocrisy and the manipulation and the deceit, let's just talk for a second about actually blocking out the sun. So what do we need to, to live and what makes earth habitable? Our distance from the sun, right? Makes earth a place that we can actually live and have life. Um, and so, you know, when it comes here, I'll bring it back to COVID for a second again, too. No, you're not the only one. <laughs> you're not annoyed that? <laughs> no, no. Sometimes it's just a good little example. But, so talking about the vaccine, for example, and again, this is not a pro or anti statement at all, but the vaccine was looked at in a way, you know, as all vaccines are as experiments at first, right? You are experimenting, seeing if it's going to work out. Um, 
when it comes to vaccines, it is important, obviously, because people's lives are at stake, right? People's health is at stake. But when we talk about the sun, literally all life is at stake, right? This is an experiment where all life is at stake. Mm -hmm. We need light and we need water to even have the possibility of life. And the only reason we have water, not in a frozen block, is because of the sun. So this is really the biggest thing that you can mess around with and experiment on is the sun. Um, yeah. So it just baffles me that humans think that we should or that we have a right to experiment with the sun when we're the only planet in our solar system that actually is at the right distance to actually support life. And we're like, yeah, we can, we can fiddle with that a little bit. You know, it just seems really out there to me. Yeah. Really crazy. All subject to whatever happens. Yeah. It you affects know? literally like, everyone. Big decisions, just like we talked about on the last episode, you know, like a few people make these big decisions for mm-hmm. us. And so we have very little freedom when it comes to these huge things. Mm-hmm. I was reading about blocking out the sun a little bit and came across an article from the Scientific American that was published July 7th of this year. Um, it says supercomputer will help decide whether to block the sun. Um, oh, a new good. supercomputer climate research will help scientists study the effects of solar geoengineering, a controversial idea for cooling the planet by redirecting the sun's rays. The machine named Duratio, which I find interesting, they name it that because it's three and a half times faster than any um, previous supercomputer. And what we experienced in Illinois and much of the Midwest just experienced was, quote, a Duratio where the wind is, I think it's got to be for, it's got to span a width of like, I can't remember if it's like 50 or 60 miles wide. And then it has to move so fast across like a huge span of, um, or across a huge distance, but it's a type of storm where Mm -hmm. the winds are really high. And we just had a ton of damage from that. So I find it interesting that they named the computer something Mm -hmm. that like a fast, that's named after like a really fast storm. I don't know. I just found that that interesting. Um, But anyway, I guess they began operating this computer this month at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, and it will allow allow scientists to run more detailed weather models for research in solar geoengineering. Um, This is what Kristen Rasmussen said, a climate scientist at Colorado State University that's studying how human-made aerosols can be used to deflect sunlight and could affect rainfall patterns. So this kind of marries those conversations with AI and technology and transhumanism with Mm -hmm. the climate agenda. And I know that on the Thousand Hours Outside podcast, one of us mentioned that um, this is not separate from the climate agenda. And I know Mm -hmm. when I say that, I'm crazy. And people are like, she just thinks everything's linked up. But it is. It's all together. None Mm -hmm. of these issues are separate. And we're going to allow the supercomputer to model things for us and decide whether or not we um, block out the sun. And to, again, I'm sorry, bring up COVID. Look (laughs) at all the model that they put together on how the um, virus was going to spread and how things were going to look. All of those Mm -hmm. models were generated by computers and were wrong. Yeah. Absolutely wrong. So we're going to trust this computer to 
figure out whether spraying aerosols and blocking the sun and brightening the clouds is going to be a good thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. So guys, another word for, um, weather modification is geoengineering. And that's the word that just is, you know, weather modification sounds really weird to people, right? Like we're like, what? Whereas geoengineering all of a sudden, all of a sudden it sounds like a field of study, right? It sounds like something you can specialize in. So you can look up geoengineering as well. But I, I think we should talk a bit for about cloud seeding because that's something that's been going on for a long time. So I have an article that kind of, um, gets into that just a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. before we get into the full like cloud seeding and operation Popeye and all that. But just, just again, to show when people think things are new information to them versus when it's actually new information. So -hmm. this was from 2014. It's on a geoengineering watch, um, website, air force bombshell admits that they control can control weather through HARP, which was a program um, mm-hmm. that's now been released to the Uni- University of Alaska or Alaska University, but it was a government program that was basically no longer needed because it, they already figured it all out. And this was in 2014. Um, it says, well, HARP and weather control has been called a conspiracy theory by mainstream media and government officials. During a Senate hearing on Wednesday, David Walker, Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Science, Technology, and Engineering, dropped a bombshell and so they're calling this a bombshell in answer to a question by Lisa Murkowski in relation to dismantling of the 300 million high-frequency active auroral research program in Gakona uh, this summer. So they were dismantling this research program because they had already um, achieved their results of understanding what they could do with weather modification. And this was called a bombshell. Huh. However... We know that in, I think it was 1967, there was Operation Popeye, it's called, where they use cloud seeding in Vietnam to increase the monsoon season. 1974, it says in this article. But anyway, that time okay. frame anyway. Right. Yeah, either way, it was that, yeah, yeah, like you said, that time frame. Um, and they've also used it in the Olympics, I think the Beijing Olympics, right? Yes, and China has yeah. just said we can control the weather, so don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so go into cloud seeding a little bit. I just wanted to say that we have known these things for years and years and yeah. years, but in 2014, it was exclaimed to be a bombshell again. Yeah. However, it's not a bombshell. It's just a bombshell because people don't know about it because they haven't read about it. Yeah. Okay, so cloud seeding. I'm on this website, livescience.com. Again, I will link it in the show notes. And there's a picture actually of a guy getting his airplane ready to go and it has these canisters on it of silver iodide to be Mm -hmm. carried through clouds by, by this plane. So, and it says here, cloud seeding is a method. And I just want you to think about like, how can this actually be good for people or animals or anything? Cloud seeding is a method used to make clouds rain using aircraft, drones, or rockets. Small particles of silver or lead iodide are released into the sky Because these particles have a similar structure to ice, the water droplets in the cloud, which are too small to fall as rain, surround the silver iodide, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. As the water and silver iodide combine, ice crystals form. Eventually, the ice crystals become too heavy to remain in the air. As they fall, they melt to become raindrops. And here's a little bit about the Operation Popeye. 
1974, during the Vietnam War, the U.S. Army used cloud seeding to alter the weather. The aim was to prolong the monsoon season in Vietnam, making fighting more difficult for the enemy. The plan was named Operation Popeye and meant that the U.S. troops were more prepared for the extensive rainy season, according to documents posted online at the Office of the Historian. Operation Popeye used the rain as a weapon to destroy floods and no, to destroy roads and flood rivers. <laughs> to do this, military pilots flew over chosen regions with canisters of silver or lead iodide. The canisters were ignited to release the particles into the clouds. When the events of Operation Popeye were publicized, a ban was put in place by the European Modification Convention to prevent military tactics that controlled the weather. And then here, China. In 2008, China used its weather modification program to control weather forecasts for the Beijing Olympics, according to BBC. The country carried out cloud seeding in the capital to ensure that the rain fell before events like the opening ceremony rather than during the opening ceremonies. So it's happening. (laughs) It is. Um, Interestingly, I can't remember anyone's name. Like I have a really hard time with names, Mm. like names and faces. Like I have to say it and look at people. But this guy, Michio Kaku, I can remember his name. He was on the the news. I was, yeah. I mean, I can remember his name. Like, so he's easy for me to put into a search engine and find weather modification information. Maybe that's why I've studied it so much. I can remember somebody's name that I saw (laughs) on the news a decade ago. But I was just talking to my husband about it a while back. I was like, I remember this guy on the news like 10 years ago. And I've since looked up his video several times, but I looked up one today and he's talking about in 2013, um, he was on CBS, like one of their morning shows, um, controlling the weather. Is it possible? And so I might play this clip for you, but it's talking about controlling rainfall, but using lasers instead mm. of cloud seeding. So it's almost like the cloud seeding is like old technology already, you know, right. 10 years ago, 10, <laughs> 10 years ago. So I'm going to play this real quick. And now we're learning that scientists and researchers are looking at how to change the weather on purpose. That's right. Lasers now could one day manipulate rain and lightning. CBS This Morning contributor Michio Kaku is a physics professor at City College of New York. Professor, nice to see you. Extraordinary seeing Al Gore and Bill Clinton there together with Charlie, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They did not get into this discussion, though. (laughs) But it is fascinating. I mean, lasers, really, to change the weather? That's right. Well, as Mark Twain once famously said. Everyone complains about the weather, but no one ever does anything about it. Well, instead of doing a rain dance, we physicists are firing trillion watt lasers into the sky to actually precipitate rain clouds and actually bring down lightning bolts. This is potentially a game changer. But this is experimental. It's experimental. However, in the laboratory so far, it works. When you have water vapor and you have dust particles or ice crystals, you can precipitate rain. It condenses around the seeds. These seeds can also be created by laser beams. By firing trillion watt lasers, you rip apart the electrons, creating what are called ions, and these ions act like seeds, like dust particles, bringing down rain and even lightning. Go ahead. Well, I, I, this is fascinates me in part because, too, I remember reading the stories that China had used this during the Olympics, that the USSR had used this after Chernobyl to create rain clouds. I mean, w- did those really work then? 
we have some of these capabilities now? Inconclusive. Even in the 60s, the CIA used this to uh, bring down monsoons during the Vietnam War to wash out the Viet Cong. Governments have been playing with this to. thing. Alleged to. Alleged to, right. Yeah. Now, we realize that for decades now, these governments have been alleged to have experimented with weather control, but nothing conclusive. This time we're bringing in the laws of physics rather than simply uh, waving our hands and uttering mumbo jumbo. <laughs> We're actually using trillion watt lasers now. And in the laboratory, sure enough, they precipitate rain out of water vapor. Sure enough, you can actually bring down electricity down the, down the beam. So what does it mean for drought areas that, that need to have rain for crops? And if they don't have them, uh, there's in the consequences of famine. Well, the bad news is if it's a clear blue sky, it's not going to do anything at all because it only takes water vapor that's already in the air and condenses it. However, for floods, for agriculture, for farmers, for people planning wedding parties, uh, football <laughs> games, you name it, outdoor events and agriculture and flooding and even hurricanes, all of them could be subject to weather modification. Incredibly interesting, Professor Michio Kaku. Thank you. So we move very quickly from uh, worrying about famine to worrying about ice wedding and like oh my gosh <laughs> getting a football game going you know without so rain it's just crazy and so one of the things i didn't hear the first time i listened to this today mm. um enough to make the connection but he talks about how it can increase lightning strikes which brings us back to wildfires they're talking mm -hmm. about the wildfires being started because of these increasing storms and lightning strikes interesting um oh, we're testing these lasers 10 years ago um, and I'm mm -hmm. sure that's ramped up, right? So could we so, be creating our own problems again? Yeah. Well, a couple things that I want to bring up. One thing that came to mind when I was listening to that was the Tuskegee study. Remember that syphilis mm -hmm. study? Yep. Yep. Um, you know, like they told these guys that were part of this study that they were being treated for, quote, bad blood, which encompassed a lot of um, ailments and uh, ended up killing them essentially. Right. But they were told it was something good. And this was the government. Okay. And this was not that long ago. I mean, 1932. So it might sound like a long time ago, but it's really not. And when mm -hmm. you think of American government, it's not that long ago. Um, and then one thing really interesting that he said, interesting and sad is he said, you know, hurricanes, cyclones, whatever, all these weather events, all of them could be subject to weather modification. So what he's really saying is we could basically make weather bow down to us, mm -hmm. which is, you know, speaking from a Christian perspective, that's a very scary thing to say, because essentially you're not just saying weather can bow down to us. You're saying God, the creator of this will bow down to us. Mm -hmm. We have power over what he can accomplish on earth, mm -hmm. which if you've read the Bible, that's a really dangerous thing yeah. to claim that you can do. Absolutely. And even just from the perspective of people who are just purely coming at this from an environmentalist perspective, mm -hmm. you are saying you respect nature and that you want to preserve it. And that's the rationale for this. Yeah. But you're in you're doing that by trying to control nature, which is just mm -hmm. incompatible mm -hmm. in my mind. That it that doesn't yeah. make sense. It does Absolutely. not make sense. Love doesn't equal control, right? So if you love yeah. the environment, 
Yeah. And not to say that you shouldn't take care of the environment. I'm a huge advocate for taking, taking care, care of, of the it environment. is different than control. Yeah. And, <laughs> and making sure that what you're doing is actually taking care of the environment, right? Like, I think so much of it just boils down to like common sense. How was the earth designed to function? Yeah. Work with that. Don't work against it. Don't try to like overpower it. Just work with it because we're part of creation too, you know? Yeah. And that's why I say like true environmentalism will never look like increased industrialization. You know, mm -hmm. that's just a fact. It's everything that they're doing to try to save the planet and help the climate is adding something, right? And right. it's requiring some sort of unnatural motive to get there. Mm -hmm. We're never taking mm -hmm. something away. We're never saying, you know, actually, I think that maybe we should um, like try to, like there's reduce, reuse, recycle or whatever. You know, that was in the 80s. They, mm -hmm. they taught us that in school, reduce, reuse, recycle. But yeah. they're not um, saying maybe we should just live with a little less, you know, no, we're, yeah. we're continuing to increase technology, which mm -hmm. is the opposite again, and incompatible with environmentalism. Yeah. We're continually <laughs> it living like, with it more. Make sense. It's no. irrational. Well, it's, it's we're, the whole, like, let's have our cake and eat it too situation, right? It's yeah. like, we want a utopia and we will do anything to get there while not, um, mm -hmm sacrificing anything that brings us comfort. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So things that we wanted to get across in this episode, the wildfires, we have no idea what's happening with those, but there are a lot of possibilities and we need to entertain mm -hmm. all of them and think about all of them. Weather modification is absolutely real to what extent it's being used right now. We do not know, but it is absolutely real. And if people think you're crazy, tell them to go look at the government website. Well, um, yeah. And that's why I brought up the Tuskegee thing, because people think stuff like that sounds crazy too. But it's like, no, yeah. that's something that was done. Yeah, not long absolutely. Ago. And another thing that we want to get across, or at least I want to get across, I'm saying mm -hmm. we, you add in what you want to get across too, okay. but um Definitely the time frame issue, the fact that they're selling you a climate agenda based on a very small time frame in the world is much older than that. And we have not mm -hmm. been tracking climate for very many years, as evidenced by the EPA article that I shared that, or not article, rather, the, their, the government website where they've only been tracking wildfires for about 40 years. Mm -hmm. And yet they're telling you how much wildfires have increased when forests have been around um, in the United States much longer than a massive amount of people have been around in the United States. So it's just very mm -hmm. interesting to look at um, how the climate agenda and narrative is being sold to you, how they use every single climate event to promote a climate agenda, how they're talking about heat waves in America right now, you know, when um, you can look back at the news from 20 years ago in the same uh same temperatures are being called normal. Um, mm -hmm. And then just, I, I don't know, this is just crazy to me to think about the fact that weather modification is really happening. Humans think they can control um, the weather and fix problems that they've also said that they have created. Yeah. Oh, in the marketing aspect, the marketing aspect, the mm. fact that there's money to be made and they're using data to, um, Manipul manipulate the way you think about the data and the weather to um, increase industrialization essentially and make money 
and redistribute yeah. money. Yeah. And for proof that that's true, you can look at marketing in any sector and, yeah. and see how they push certain things. Yeah. And that it does change the way people think like slowly over time, if you're exposed to the same things over and over again, it does change the way you think. So definitely it's a good one to be aware of. I don't have anything to add though. So shall we wrap it up here? Absolutely. This All will right, be a guys. continuing conversation. I'm sure oh, like totally. this is not the end of this conversation. <laughs> it's just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for being with us today and listening. You can find us outside of the podcast on Instagram at Boom Clap Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at Cecily.dickey or my website, thegracetogrow.com. You can find me, Rita, at RitaRogersCo.com or RitaRogersCo on Instagram. Thanks for listening.